0: Don't have a college degree in what you're teaching? Didn't go to a prestigious MBA school? Yeah, neither did I. I often hear, but Amy, I'm not professionally or college educated in this area that I wanna teach. So who am I to be doing this? I'm not really qualified. To which I respond, all you need is a 10% edge. And my guest today actually agrees with that, especially when it comes to building a healthy and successful business. He says, even if you had the time, access, or money to attend a top 20 business school, you would still be missing the practical knowledge that propels the best and brightest forward. And today, he's sharing a handful of those missing pieces. Bottom line, if you know what they are, you can use them to make a world of difference in your business and your success. Oh. Amy Porterfield, and this is Online Marketing Made Easy. All right, all right. You've waited so patiently to find out who this mysterious guest is. His name is Donald Miller, but his friends call him Don. And you may remember him from episode number 236, How to Clarify Your Message, which is still a very popular episode to this day. He's the CEO of Business Made Simple, an online platform that teaches business professionals everything they need to know to grow a business and enhance their personal value on the open market. He is also a podcast host and is the author of several books, including his newest one, Business Made Simple, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode. But today, what we're going to dive into is a handful of areas where entrepreneurs truly excel. And we're going to talk about how and what to strategically and intentionally implement to make those areas of your business work for you and not the other way around. Wait till he talks about the eulogy. You're going to love it. It's something that I am definitely going to do. So go to amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide to grab your copy of the brand voice guide outline you wish you had sooner. And I can promise you, you're going to elevate your brand instantly. That's amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide. Now we're going to talk about personal productivity, about how you can get more done in less time. Uh, yes, please. Your messaging and answer the question, why aren't customers paying more attention? marketing, and more specifically, how to build a sales funnel. And last, but certainly not least, probably my most favorite part of this interview, because I'm recording this intro after I got to talk to Don, my most favorite part is how to close more sales. And the answer to this question is very different than I thought it was going to be. And I called my team right after this interview, and I said, let's talk about selling and how to do it differently. Based on this one interview I had with Don, so, it's a whole lot of goodness coming at you. So, sit back, relax while well, taking notes, of course, and enjoy my conversation with Don. Well, hey there, Don. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have you here.
1: It's good to be with you.
0: Now, I know this is getting off topic, but isn't it wild to think that when this episode airs, you will be a first time dad?
1: That's right. Yeah, we are due in two days. And uh, <laughs> two days. supposedly, first babies come a little bit late, is what I hear. So we are we may be eight or 10 days, but t- today's my last day of work. Tomorrow begins the process of sitting there, twiddling my thumbs, watching my wife.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do be. love, though, that you took that time off. That's very cool. And also, right, I yeah, kept thinking, miss. I wonder if he's going to cancel this because it's so close to our due date. But then I also have heard that the first baby tends to take a little bit longer. So I was crossing my fingers we could get it in. But congratulations. I can't wait to see all the baby posts. Like you promise to be posting some of that baby, right? Oh, yeah.
1: No, I think I'd be in a lot of trouble with a lot of people if I didn't put pictures up. So expect it
0: Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Okay. So I'm glad to have you back. And we're going to talk about so many topics that my audience is asking about all the time. So I hear many entrepreneurs in my audience or those who want to become entrepreneurs often say, but I didn't go to business school. I just don't think I can make this work. In fact, I have a feeling that some of my audience members are nodding their heads right now because they've had that exact thought. So why do you feel that you actually don't need a business degree to be a successful entrepreneur? And what are some of the things that will aid in that success that someone perhaps wouldn't learn in business school?
1: There are certainly advantages to going to business school. And uh, a lot of it is just networking and who you meet and the isolated experience of studying business. The negatives, as I've seen them, is a lot of the stuff I think you study in business school isn't the stuff you need to understand to actually grow a business. I mean, you study a paper on trade with China, you study, you know, a 1973 Volkswagen ad, you study, you, you basically are being prepared to be chairman of the Fed or to run a venture capital firm, which almost nobody in that class is going to do. You know, we really just want to go out and run a company. And so th- that's my beef against business school. And And also, you have to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze in the sense that, you know, you could go $50,000, $150,000 in debt, and now you have debt going into your, your life in, uh, in the workplace. I think the best kind of business education is when you actually work for a company and you develop yourself within that organization in order to make yourself more valuable on the open market, not just in the company that you work for, but actually on the open market. And that's uh that's not really what business school teaches you to do. So I, I think I think business schools are gonna change. I think in the next five to ten years, what I'm saying is no longer going to be true because they are going to need to change. And I think that's a really good thing. But right now, I would say I don't know that business school is worth it. I think you can you can get an education on your own that will actually give you the skill set to become more valuable.
0: Oh, yes. Totally agree. Now, I know in your new book, you lay out nine areas successful leaders and entrepreneurs excel in. So do you mind if we dive in just a little bit deeper to a few of those?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. So first up, let's talk about personal productivity. What do you mean by this? And what are a couple of strategies that someone could use in their business to excel in that area?
1: yeah you know years ago, and you are you and I are probably both geeks in this area Amy <laughs> years ago i it was ten twelve years ago I decided to sell everything I had in Portland, Oregon. I bought a uh, a Volkswagen camping van, one of the newer ones, not the older ones and my dog and I set out to washington d c to uh pursue the woman who is now my wife. I was going to move to her town write, you know, a few houses down from she and her girlfriends and try to win her over. And thankfully it worked. <laughs> but on the way there, I decided to buy, this is pre, you know, audible and all that. I bought on CD every book I could on personal productivity, on willpower, on self-discipline, on life planning, all that kind of stuff. And I listened to them. I listened to, you know, I don't know how many hours it took us to get across the country. Uh, I was, it was me and my chocolate lab. I listened harder than she did, but, <laughs> and I, dev- I basically created my own day planner. And I've used it for more than 10 years. It's actually not public. Uh, it, I have some friends who've downloaded it and they love it. Um, but it, it's not something that I, I offer anybody. Not not because I don't want to. It's just because it was just something I did, developed for me. But for me, what that personal planner does, there's two things that I think are critically important that that planner has done. That in the last 10 years, I'm 49. So from 39 to 49, I've gotten more done than I did from 1 to 39. Easily, if not three times as much. Well, you know, I I became a best-selling author. I built a multi-million-dollar company. I got married, and and within days, I'll be a dad. All of that I owe to this planner. And one of the things that it did was I separated my primary projects that were important from my secondary projects. In other words, spending two hours working on the book is much more important than going and picking up the dry cleaning. Um. You know, working on the speech that I've got to give at the conference this weekend is much more important than you know returning an email uh, from somebody who wants to do business with me. And, and and the problem is the brain doesn't understand the difference. It just hears a ringing phone and it'll answer any phone. And so you have to actually sit down and process. Wait, what's the most important thing I could do, and what am I willing to not let happen? Uh, in order to get this thing done, so I gave my on my planner. There's three primary tasks that need to be done, and there's about 12 secondary tasks. So just the idea, what's primary and what's secondary, has been one of the keys, I think, to the, pro- the the amount of productivity I've had over the last 10 years. And what I see a lot of people doing is they're working very hard on things that they just don't need to work hard on. You know, if if I if I don't write almost every day. I can't release a book every year and I've got 30 employees who depend on me releasing a book out of every year or every 18 months at least. So if I have to not pick up the dry cleaning, you know, if I don't pick up the dry cleaning, what I'm going to have is a shirt that's been ironed, but it's, gonna, it's not going to look as good as a shirt that, that came from the dry cleaner. So which is more important, a shirt that has a wrinkle in it or not feeding 30 people some opportunities to make a living? Yes. And that's what the brain can't figure out. And you, it, I mean, it can figure it out, but it's not going to figure it out intuitively. So every morning when I fill out that planner, I know what the three primary things I need to get done. And then another secret is I never get all three done. I usually get one done. Sometimes, sometimes I get two done. So you, everything else just kind of goes by the wayside. Then, then the second thing that I do, which is actually more important than the first thing is I read my eulogy every morning. What? if i do if I do my morning ritual I, I wrote my eulogy a long time ago, and it said what it would be you know what i'd want people to say about me at my funeral it's an old exercise it predates Stephen Covey who talked about it in seven Habits. Our friend Michael Hyatt recommends doing it i mean it's just one of the most thoughtful, amazing exercises that you can do, and that eulogy says I will have written several best selling books that that help uh help make very complicated ideas simple in theology, in business, and in politics. Those are the three areas I want to cover by the end of my life. I've already done theology. I've already done business. I'm going to do business for several more years, and then I'm going to switch to politics. So what this does is it tells me where my life is going to go. It also says that I was a faithful husband, that I spent a lot of time with Betsy in the garden, that I was a very good father. And some other things that, that I want to accomplish. Our house we built here in Nashville is 15 acres. It has a house and a guest house and what we call a carriage house, which is basically a, an event space in the backyard where I will bring people, the, the event space is still three months from being finished, but I will bring people there to help them process their own story and help them understand how much they've overcome and how beautiful their lives are. Then they're going to write those stories on five pages into a formula. We're going to put those into binders in the carriage house and it will contain a library of thousands and thousands of people and and them sitting down and processing all that they've overcome in life and how powerful they are and how strong they are and how loving they are. If that's going to be true by the time I die... I've got a lot of work to do. I've got to finish the carriage house. I've got to write the formula. I've got to invite all the people over. I've got to somehow <laughs> transition into politics. I've got to finish these best-selling books. So it just makes everything, I, I've got, I can't, you know, spend a lot of time on the road away from Betsy. I can't do that. You know, so it, it's helping me, it helps me govern and guide my life. And so my life plan, I read every morning in a morning ritual, not every morning, to be honest with you, uh, but every morning when I read my, do my morning ritual, I I read it. That That ends up being about three to five days a week. And then I fill out my day planner, which tells me my primary and secondary tasks. And it has it has laser focused uh, my life so that it, it, it never feels chaotic. Uh, it does often feel very busy and I, and I have to manage being too busy, but I'm just never off track. And to me, for the last 10 years, that's been a gift.
0: Never off track—that is something to aspire to, and I really get that from you. You have a great social presence in the sense that you do some videos and you do a, a lot of like quick chats. I call them little mini TED talks. I love them so <laughs> much. Yeah. And and I, I get the sense that you do very much know who you are and where you're going. And this idea of writing your eulogy when when I get off track or things feel really messy, I often come back to Amy. Who are you, and what do you want, and what are you here for? And a eulogy like that is very clear who you are, what do you want, what are you here for, what's most important. That would really ground you.
1: Oh, it's absolutely grounding. And you know the other grounding thing that's kind of sad to talk about is the fact that we're not here for very long.
0: Yeah, I thought that too.
1: We, I mean, you're you're literally going to die. This this story ends, and to me, just reminding myself of that every morning. You know, when when you write a screenplay or when you write a novel, often you want to put a kind of ticking clock. In the story. So, you know, it's not that the man wants to marry the woman, it's that the man wants to marry the woman, but the woman is about, about to marry his jerk brother next Saturday. And, you know, so that, that's the story. And, and he's got to get all of this done and convince her that his brother's a real jerk and he's the real guy. You know, he's got to do that by Saturday. And w- when you actually read your eulogy, you, you you wake up and you say, "Hey, wait a second. We we don't have a lot of time to play around. We don't have a lot of time to sit around watching Netflix. Although I love sitting around watching Netflix, <laughs> but uh, you know, we don't have a lot. We, we need to we need to mitigate some of that and actually get you know build some of these relationships and get some of these tasks done and try to make an impact. And to me, that's the other the other genius of that exercise is realizing there's a ticking clock in your story, and it gives yourself it's it's a it's a thing that I call narrative traction." And narrative traction to me is when, you know, when you're watching a movie and, and suddenly you realize, wait, that man should marry that woman. That's the real couple. That's called narrative traction because you actually engage the story and you sit there and you watch the rest of it because you're hoping that will happen. And, and what I think most people are missing in their lives is narrative traction. They simply aren't interested in their own lives. They're interested Ooh. in what's happening on Netflix. They're interested in gossip about what else somebody else is doing. They're interested, but they're not interested in their own lives. And so when we actually design a life that that gets us interested in our own life, it pulls us out of a narrative vacuum or, or what psychologist Viktor Frankl calls an, a, an existential vacuum. Oh. It's as though you're sitting in the theater of your own mind and you had a wonderful story in high school and you had a wonderful story in college and you watched that movie on the screen. It was so fantastic. And you, you had a wonderful story of how you met your husband or your wife, and that was fantastic. And then usually, that's it. Culture doesn't provide you another story. And so, if you don't make one up and dive into one, you are sitting in the theater of your own mind. You're watching a blank screen, and you're wondering why life is so boring and so futile, and you blame it on God, and you blame it on the government, and you blame it on everybody else. But the truth is, it's your fault. You're still sitting in the theater. You haven't put a new story on the screen and when we put a new story on the screen, we engage our own lives. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's not always happy. Sometimes it's tragic and hard, but yeah, you're but- always interested in it. You always want to get up and put something on the plot.
0: Whoa. I love this. And, you know, I mentioned you being on social earlier, but I think also it, when we find ourselves so enthralled in other people's lives on social media, probably is a good indicator that maybe we need to get enthralled in our own lives and our own story, maybe rewrite the story so we get excited about it.
1: I think that's true. And, you know, the, I I try to follow people on social media, Amy and I follow you, who, who inspire my own story, right? Like when I'm watching them and I see how good a dad they are, I go, okay, I want, I'm going to borrow some of that. And when they, they bought a new house and they're fixing it up and it's like, okay, I want my, I want the setting that I live in to be kind of cool like that. I want to, but I hope it's not a sort of thing where there's jealousy or envy. It's more, I hope it's inspiration. Of course, we all go back and forth between the two, but you know, none of us are perfect but at the same time i would hope that that when we when we look at social media we're more inspired and informed to make our own story interesting
0: for sure for sure okay so that is personal productivity i loved everything you shared there we are online marketers which means we have unique needs and there are so many options out there for paid media sometimes it's hard to figure out where should you go to reach your ideal audience but here's the thing have you thought about linkedin ads all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash made easy now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in that shopify.com slash made easy. And I want to move on to the next one that I think my listeners would really find valuable. And that is messaging. So talk to me about why this is important and how can my listeners audit their messaging to make sure it's getting their audience's attention.
1: Well, you know, there's a lot there, but I'm going to give everybody a a, a strategy they can use right now. Um, I I recently was on the, on a Zoom call with a company called Calyx and Calyx is a company that does broadband services. They're the owner of of Calyx, uh, sold his last company for seven billion. So this is a company that's well funded. It's growing massively. And they are the most fun people to work with. They have a great product. Uh, They're extremely smart. I I really like working with these guys. And they showed me a proposal. And the proposal was for a piece of hardware that would allow, you know, a broadband company to go into rural areas without having to run lines and all of the infrastructure that's so expensive. So, So what we're talking about is hundreds of millions of dollars if this proposal is successful. So I read the proposal. And the person who wrote it was an engineer. He's explaining kind of how it works. And it was, in my opinion, for an engineer, it was extremely well-read. Nothing gets engineers, but it's, you know they, they, don't, they tend to be not the best writers. And it was, it was really well done. But what I said to them was, look, when I look at a proposal or a sales letter or a website or anything, I see colors. And the sentences that are read are the sentences in which you are pointing out your customer's problems. The sentences that are yellow are the sentences in which you are talking about your solutions to their problems and the products that you sell that will solve those problems. And then the sentences that are green are sentences in which you are describing what the customer's life can look like if they buy your product. So if you think about it, that's a story. Customer has a problem, they bought a product to solve it, and now their life is better and they live happily ever after. That's the story. And there's a lot more to a story than that. And I get into that in my books, but that's basically what you need. You need those three things in a story. So I said, look, when I read your proposal, all I see is yellow. There's no red and there's no green. There's no talking about or empathizing with the customer's problem. And there's no talking about what their customer's life can look like if they buy your product. So in other words, you've got a great proposal. It's just all yellow. If you really want to make it great, even better write some sentences in red in front of it and write some sentences in green after it. And then you've got a story because you're now the, the solution to to the customer's problem is going to make a lot more sense because they have this problem and because they want to live this happy ever after sort of life. The yellow suddenly increases dramatically in value and that's going to make them want to buy it. And you know, if they, if they do that and they will, you know, that's worth tens of millions of dollars to that company. So, you know, we're probably talking to a lot of small business leaders who the majority of people that we work with. If you're a small business leader, here, here's the, the the number one takeaway. You're probably really good at talking about your product. You've probably really worked on it. But get just as good as talking about and empathizing and empathizing is really important. Empath- the, the best definition I've heard for empathy is shared pain. So you, you want to share the pain with your customer. You want to feel it too. Then you want to solve it with your product. And then you want to explain what their life will look like after and the sort of happily ever after that life that they can live. Just make sure that the, the marketing collateral... And you're so great at teaching this, Amy. You know, make sure the marketing collateral is red, yellow, and green. Make sure it invites customers into a story.
0: Oh, so important. You know, recently we did some surveying with our audience. And although I've been at this for 12 years and I feel like I know my audience fairly well... There were some things that were uncovered. Like we learned that my students they value freedom and autonomy much more than they do money. And I teach people how to make money, but also how to make an impact. And one of the things we've changed recently in our messaging is when we're meeting them where they're at with their challenges, we're not so much talking about all the money they can make. Because although that's important, it literally is not what's keeping them up at night. They genuinely want to make a difference in this world and they want to do it on their terms. That little tweak of what we learned changed the story like tenfold.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think story is everything. You've illustrated a really great point. You're going to find out what your customers' struggles are, and you're going to find out what they want by actually talking to them. Yes. I'm the sort of person, I'm just creative. I I never lack ideas. It can be easy for me just to assume that I know what the customer wants. But every time we do surveys and I sit down and we do focus groups, I'm always shocked because I was off a little bit. You got to actually talk to somebody to have empathy. And so you just illustrated that
0: so important for sure. Okay. So we talked about personal productivity and messaging, two things that you really get to in your book. You go much deeper, of course, but I want to talk about marketing. And obviously I have an online marketing business. I teach marketing, but I want you to talk about it specifically in terms of building a sales funnel and what that looks like. Because I think sometimes I take for granted that my audience just gets it where you don't typically learn this stuff in school, especially if you didn't go to business school. So what does a sales funnel look like? Why is it important? Can you kind of get into that?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I don't think you learn how to make a sales funnel in business school. Okay,
0: good. <laughs> I've never been, so I wasn't sure. Yeah,
1: <laughs> business school is really preparing you to be a cog in the wheel of corporate America. And it's not even preparing you to do that very well. So if you're running your own company, I think it is foundational. And and I, Amy, I think you are a terrific place to learn how to do it. But it is foundational that you are able to build a sales funnel and you, you, you're able to get your marketing right. For me, there's many, many kinds of sales funnels. The most basic is something that we call a one-liner. That is one sentence that gets people engaged in your product. So, for instance, if I were that, – that step one is the one-liner, and I'll explain what it is. If I were at a cocktail party and I went to somebody and I said, what do you do? And they said, well, I'm an at-home chef. I would probably say, oh, okay, where'd you go to culinary school? And, you know, what are your favorite restaurants in town? And, you know, have you ever cooked for anybody famous? I I would just make conversation. But let's say I went to somebody and I said, what do you do? And they said, well, you know how most families don't eat together anymore and when they do, they don't eat healthy? I'm an at-home chef. I come to your house and I cook so that your family can actually relax, look each other in the eye and have a meaningful conversation while you eat food that tastes great and is healthy. That second person is going to get my business. The first person, it would never even—I would never—I would never even think that I need to do business with them because they're an at-home chef for rich people. Right. <laughs> the second person, I realize, oh, I have that problem, and I want to sit relaxed at a table and have a conversation with my family, and I want to eat food that tastes good but is healthy instead of making nachos again. <laughs> you know, I want to do those things, and uh, what what they used was a one-liner. A one-liner is a sentence that starts with a problem, talks about the solution, and explains the result. It's the same as the formula that I gave you earlier. That sentence needs to be written. And then you need a... That sentence is going to get people to go to your website, and your your landing page needs to also invite people into a story. So that's the second part of the sales funnel. Uh, the third part is a lead generator, some sort of webinar, uh, some sort of video course, some sort of PDF something that is extremely valuable and gets an email address. And then there's nurture campaigns and sales campaigns that you email people. And the reality is people don't usually buy from you uh, when they get your email. They, They buy when they realize they need your product, when they realize your product will solve a problem. That's not always right after they go to your website or right after they download your lead generator. Sometimes it's 20, 30, 40, 50 weeks later. So we rec- recommend at least 6 weeks worth of emails, but preferably 52. Wow. Yeah, preferably 52 and we're sort of shocked at how people will download our lead generator. We don't do 52, Amy. We do infinity. We never we have we send out emails every single week to our list telling them who's on our podcast, telling them, giving them some valuable information. Because the thing is, I want to be in their inbox whenever they realize it's time to buy the solution. And I know if I skip a week, I'll be, I'll lose sales.
0: Okay. You just said it. Wait, I got to stop you. That is so important. I've never said it that way. And I want to say it that way from here on out. I'll always give you credit, but you want to be in their inbox when they are ready.
1: Right. There's a window that's going to open and it's, it's their, it's their window of need and it's like suddenly i need a new roof because my roof is leaking well if if you sent them an email 6 weeks ago i promise you they've already forgotten you yes so they heard about you 3 years ago and they didn't need a roof but now you've emailed them every week or so you know with some valuable information and now they need a new roof and the whole thing is are you going to be present in their mind when they are ready to buy and so it's really much more about maintaining that relationship and continuing to offer value than it is about emailing them something that convinces them to buy from you. You just want to be around. You just want to be around.
0: Uh, That is so valuable because I know a lot of uh, my listeners right now, they're not emailing once a week. They feel like it's too much or they're not sure what to say or it's just not, not a priority for them yet. But I hope when they hear it the way you just explained it, they'll realize, wait a second, if I'm there, right time, right place, I'm there consistently, but then they realize they need me, there I am. I'll be waiting. I'll be patient.
1: That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 You want to be the guy. You want to be the guy standing around. Yes. That's how I got my wife. You know, she wouldn't go out me for three <laughs> years, but I just, I kept riding my bike by her house, kept bringing yes. flowers and suddenly she was like, you know, this guy's not going away. And so uh, that pay
0: attention. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, okay. So I love that you talk about this idea of a sales funnel. And one more thing I wanted to say to that is, as you know, I teach people how to do webinars and I've noticed, and there's so many different alternatives to a webinar, sales or not sales videos, but uh, value packed videos that they can do or challenges or quizzes, all these different things. But I really do believe there needs to be a vehicle in between you know, your emails talking about whatever it is that you offer or how you offer value and sending directly to the sales page. And I love that you mentioned that in this funnel, that we're not just sending emails directly to a sales page.
1: Right. I love the webinar strategy too. And I'm so glad you're teaching people to do webinars. We we actually do webinars, but we don't teach people to do them. So I defer to you on that. <laughs> Thank you. I will say this. I will say that they're incredibly... Uh, successful for us. And one of the main reasons is it isolates the demographic that you really want to talk to. And the other thing is, if you can add a Q&A to your webinar, you, you really don't fully know. You can sort of empathize and surveys and focus groups can help you, but you don't know about what this individual person, what they're struggling with that's keeping them from buying your product. And so, within Q&A, you can usually overcome whatever it is that they they misunderstand, you can answer that question and it just leads to a ton of sales. And another thing that I would do, and I'm sure you teach this, is I'd offer a limited time bonus. You know, if you respond by the end of the week, you yes. get a, a limited bon a t- limited time bonus. And and that really helps. Most people, you know, by the time they attend a webinar and you know, they ask a question, they really want to buy from you. And now all they're saying, they're really not saying talk me into it a lot of them are just saying, will you please just give me an excuse? (laughs) Give me an excuse. Give me an excuse to buy this because I really want to buy it. And when you say, yeah, it's 10% off till the end of the month. Or when you buy this, you get a free, you know, whatever. Uh, I I saw, this was so funny and I have no explanation for this, but literally I I was behind a Jeep today and there was a, a, a tire cover on the back of the Jeep. You know how Jeeps have like tires mounted to the back of it? Yeah. There was a tire cover and apparently this was a real estate agent And the tire cover literally said, free taco when you buy a house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. I
1: I know that's funny, but I think they're joking about something that's actually very true. It's just like, give me any excuse. Like, why'd you buy this house? One, I wanted it. Two, they gave me a free taco.
0: (laughs) (laughs) listen, free means something. It really does. Yeah. Something, but okay. Free taco with buying a house. They might be pushing it a little, but I I like the enthusiasm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: So good. Okay. So we talked about the sales funnel, but I want to actually talk about sales because that's another thing you talk about in this book and specifically closing more sales. Do you have any tips or tricks around that? Yeah. Here's
1: what I think sales is actually, what it actually is. I, I think it's it's mostly these days consulting. And there's a goal that you're trying to do when you sell something and it's not to sell it. It's not to close the deal. That's actually not the goal. That happens naturally. The goal is actually to connect their problem with your solution. That's the goal. And it, you, when the when the neurons fire in their brain between what they're struggling with, And the product that you have that solves that problem, that's when they're going to make the purchase. And when we fail to close the deal, we have failed to connect our product with their problem. That's what we failed to do. And so we actually have to say, you know, let's say I'm, I'm selling children's playground equipment on a commercial level. And I, you know, here's a church down the street, and I'm going to try to sell this playground equipment to this church. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go in. I'm going to say, you know, tell me, what do you guys want for your church? Where do you want it to go? Well, we really want, yeah, we want to, people come to us from other churches. That's not what we want. We want the neighborhood to show up. And and it's why isn't the neighborhood showing up? We don't know. We we just think maybe they're kind of scared of religion or scared of churches or, you know, they just see you as an unfriendly place. That's Right. Then you can say, well, you know, I think a playground in the yard that says playground open to everybody, you know, play at your own risk, or we love our community, feel free to use our playground or whatever, or a dog park or something would just make it feel like you're more warm and inviting. And a playground would do that. Now what I've done is I've connected their problem, which had nothing to do with a playground, with a playground. And the truth is, it would probably... Give a more warm feeling. So I think where salespeople actually lose is they, they don't find out really what the problem is. They come in trying to talk people into the solution that they've offered without connecting that solution to the actual problem. I literally have, I have a, a, a person now who's texting me all the time trying to get me to buy something, and I don't have the problem that they are trying to solve. And I just keep kind of saying, actually, it's really not for us right now. And, you know, they'll try to reword it some other way. And what they're trying to do is close a sale. The truth is, I do have problems they can solve. But they've already demonstrated they're not going to listen or sit down and really try to understand. They're going to try to get the money. And I'm not going to do business with them. So I, I think we have to become very empathetic sort of consultants. And the other thing is, honestly, Amy, integrity. If I'm talking to somebody and I realize they don't actually have the problem that I solve, then what I want to do is say, do I know somebody who can help them solve the problem? Can I give them some ideas about how I think they could solve that problem? Is there any other, anybody else, a customer that's had this problem that solved it that I could put them in touch with? I want to do everything I can within reason to help them solve this problem that has nothing to do with me making money.
0: Okay. I love that.
1: Yeah. And if I can do that, I'm going to become known as a person who solves problems. And if I'm a person who solves problems, a lot of those problems are going to help me sell my products. Some of them aren't, but I'm a person who solves problems. And I think salespeople have a bad name, not because they don't solve problems. It's because they're trying to sell people solutions to problems they don't actually have. And then what happens is you have people out there in the market who are people pleasers who buy things they don't want. And then even though they were people pleasers, they resent having that transaction and then salespeople get a bad name.
0: Yes, I think this happens in the online marketing world as well. I've heard these complaints, and I love that you said. And it reminds me when I had Jasmine Starr on the show; she reminded the audience that you know you're not for everybody, and you don't need to be. And so, you're. I'm so glad you brought up integrity, saying if you're the problem you're trying to solve is not their problem, maybe you can offer a different solution that has nothing to do with you making money from that person. Uh, the, I know this sounds so silly, but the world would be a much better place if we all were to do that in our businesses.
1: Well, not only that, but let's say you don't have a solution, you can actually offer something that's really meaningful. And what you can offer is empathy. Ah, uh, yeah. So you can actually say, "Oh my gosh, you know, we don't actually do that, but can I just tell you something? That's really frustrating. I mean, it's really frustrating. I wish there was a." a landscape person in your area who could <laughs> do whatever, you right. know? Um, and if I see something, I'm going to let you know. And then to even call them back a month later and just say, Hey, I know I don't solve this, whatever. I'm really curious. How'd you solve that? And what?
0: Can you imagine?
1: Yeah. The next time they need your thing, you're going to kill it. I, I remember I bought a, a Toyota forerunner uh about a year ago. I was on my way to the gym. I thought, you know, I'm going to go look at the Forerunner. I've driven the Land Rover. I've driven much more expensive cars, but the Forerunner is kind of cool, and I know it's a little cheaper. So I pull up. There's a guy. He's sitting on a bench outside the dealership, and I walk in. I've got my gym clothes, and I'm not going to buy a car. And he says, "How can I help you?" And I said, "Well, I'm looking for a Forerunner, and I just want to." see how much they are, what the price range is. And he goes, sure, let me, you know, here it is, blah, blah, blah. We get in the car. I, I, and then he, he's so encouraging, and so nice. We go on a test drive. And he says to me, Don, you got to know, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not even a good salesperson. <laughs> I actually, I got this job 10 years ago because I know the owner and he just, I just like people. And that was it. And he just, you know, where do you live? Why do you want a four by four? Do you really need the winch? I'm like, I don't need the winch. I need the winch like three times every 10 years, <laughs> but I want one because I think it looks cool. He goes, well, this is a cool looking car. Like, I bought the freaking car and I go <laughs> I go to his desk and behind him are 10 plaques that say salesman of the year. Now, this is the guy who told me, this guy who told me wasn't a salesperson. I said, you know, you are too a salesperson. He goes, I'm not. I just love people. I just want to solve uh, problems. And I'm like, uh, you know what? You're not you're not a salesperson in the traditional sense. And he's and he sells more cars than any other sales rep at that at that building, right? But if you think about what he was doing, he's out front. He's the first guy that you see. He says he's not a salesperson to disarm you. And then he just starts say, he just starts asking, "What do you want? What do you need?" And then I said, "You know what? This doesn't have enough power. I really want to go fast." And he says, "You know, Don, I got to be honest with you You want to go fast. Here's the competition. They're going to make trucks that go fast. This is not a fast truck. This is a dependable truck. Your, your grandchildren might drive this truck. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, gosh, he's right. Do I really want a fast truck or do I want a truck that's dependable? He goes, it's just not going to be in the shop. You know, it's just, it was just really a pleasant experience. And he was honest.
0: And you felt that he was being genuine when he's like, I'm not a salesperson. You felt like he really believed that.
1: Oh, I, th- I think it's it's actually kind of true in a weird way. Like he's Got he's it. not a salesperson in the sense that he's talking you into something you don't want. Yes. that That's how he's not a salesperson. He's a salesperson in trying to connect what I want or what my problem is to the solutions that he has and being honest about solutions outside and what he thinks are the cons to those solutions and why he thinks his solution is the best. And, you know, laid it all out.
0: I love this. And I think one of the things that we could do better as a team and something I could teach to my students as well is, okay, think of a few other solutions for people that aren't a good fit. Think about why they're not a good fit, why your product probably does not solve the problem that they're looking for. What are some other solutions? Because wouldn't it be nice to be armed with those in advance so you really are serving every which way when you're showing up?
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. If you have a competitor who has a better solution you know, that's not a problem for the sales force. That's a problem for research and development. That's a problem for your product building team. They need to build a better product than your competitor, they just do.
0: Oh, I loved it. I love this conversation. I like that we got into the integrity part of it. I think it's so important. Conversations I want to have around that even more so. So this, this, Don, was exactly what I wanted to talk about with the marketing and the messages and the messaging and sales funnels and how to close the sale in a very different way than I might have guessed you would have talked about. So thank you so very much for this. All the topics I was hoping to get to.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Well, I want to talk to you before I let you go about your your new book, Business Made Simple. And I know I shared a little bit about it in the intro. and We talked about it here, but give us a rundown of what to expect in this book, and really who needs to get their hands on it.
1: Well, it, it, it's basically the business education I would have, I wish I would have gotten at about twenty five. I took over a company at twenty five years old. It was a small publishing company, and it did really well. Became the, became the fastest growing publishing company in our in our segment. And then I wrote a book. And that became a bestseller, which had nothing to do with business. And I was off being a writer for 20 years. But back then, and then I had to build a company around being a writer. And now I have a learning and development company for business leaders. And I, I wish I would have known that I didn't need to read the the trade paper or the, the white paper on trade with China. I, I didn't need to know that stuff. What I needed to know was how to be personally productive, how to write a really good mission statement that unites a team. I needed to learn how to clarify a message. I needed to learn how to build a sales funnel. Everything I needed to know to grow my business. And my business grew from our first year, we did a quarter million. That was not a little over nine years ago. We started the business. Last year, we did 16.5 million with 64% wow. profit margin. And we have no venture capital, no private equity, and no loans from banks and no partners. So, you know, I wish I would have known. But it took a lot to figure that out. And there are just some really basic things. And what I did with this book is I said, okay, people don't want to go back and get an MBA. They don't want to go into debt. They also don't want to take weeks of out of their lives and sit and watch really long courses. So what I did was I put 60 daily entries that take about five to seven minutes to read. And then you get emailed a video. And so the basically the same thing that's in the daily entry, you get this video in which I teach it to you. So you get 60 videos and 60 daily entries all for less than 20 bucks. And you can get it on Amazon. I've had people say, look, this is better than an MBA. And that was the goal. It's better than the MBA in terms of how much money it will make you. And the book came out in January and it sold, you know I don't know how many copies it sold. It's done extremely well. But it's just such a practical book for business leaders. And I've been so affirmed. Last night, Betsy and I went to a brand new restaurant. It's about a month old, but the chef who owns the restaurant and started won a James Beard Award. And I've seen his episode of Chef's Table.
0: So cool.
1: I'm a huge fan. I've, I'm just a, an enormous fan of the chef because I'm an amateur cook who is terrible. Anyway, but <laughs> you could look through this little peephole. This like, it looks like an aquarium window into the kitchen and it just looks like a French, you know, operating room of, of cleanliness so cool. and cool. Yeah. But I, mean, I couldn't see him back there. And I was like, boy, what a, I'd geek out. I don't, I wouldn't even know what to do if I talked to him. He walks by behind my wife. And I said, oh, my word, that's him. And she goes, oh, yeah, that is him. You know, and we just keep eating and blah, blah, blah. And then he, he, he's walking back by. I mean, this is a cool moment. You're the first person I've been able to share it with. And he turns around and he goes, oh, my word. And he sits down next to me at the table and he Stop goes, I'm going, I'm going through Business Made Simple. <gasps> I'm watching your videos.
0: And oh I'm like, my God. you about die?
1: I couldn't speak. <laughs> I, was, I literally started saying, I love your car. Because on his chef's table, he drives a muscle car and it's the coolest car in the world. And I'm like, my wife was like, you were such a dork. I'm like, I don't care. I get to be a dork. And uh, it was just so fun. And so, you know, I, I love that it's helping really practical businesses and people who just want to hone their craft. And, you know, that guy doesn't need to think about running a business. He needs to think about where to put truffles. You know what I mean? That's what he needs yes. to be thinking about. And I, I hope that the book helps people just figure out the business stuff easily so that they can go back to their art and their craft and their customers and do what they love to do and let the business part run itself.
0: Yes. Uh, what a great story. I love that. I can't believe you came to your table.
1: I can't believe it. Either. It was so fun.
0: That's really fun for sure. Well, the book is Business Made Simple. I recommend everybody get their hands on it. Tell everyone where they should go to buy the book.
1: Well, if you buy books on Amazon, just look for Business Made Simple. It's a blue book and, uh, and grab it. It should be $20 or less. And then we will spend the next 60 days together. You might get a little tired of me, but I am going to teach you everything I know about running a business. I promise that.
0: So cool. And I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Don, thanks so much for being on the show. I cannot tell you how much I have enjoyed learning from you and having you on the show. Hopefully, you'll come back again.
1: My pleasure. What an honor to be with you. Thanks.
0: I think we can all agree that Don is a wealth of knowledge, right? Well, he shared a lot of insight during this episode. I want you to take a step back and ask yourself, what spoke to me the most? What strategy felt most aligned with where you are and what you need to pay attention to in your business right now? For me, it was when he was talking about, is your solution solving the actual problem that your audience is facing and how that really needs to resonate with them? Like that was big for me. So ask yourself what really stuck out to you. And pay close attention to that area and start taking action in that right away. Like I can't wait to call Chloe my chief marketing officer and talk to her about how Dawn explained really understanding the problem your potential customers facing. And I want to look at what we are identifying as the problem for our potential customers and make sure we're really hitting home with that. So I feel like it's an area that I'm going to examine. So maybe that's the area you want to examine, or maybe you took something totally different from this episode, just take action. So whatever it is, let that guide you so that you really leave here doing something with it and use the steps that Donald shares and give yourself a timeline to accomplish the steps you want to take, like actually make this actionable. Be strategic and intentional just like what we talked about in this episode. And before you know it, you'll be feeling more and more like the successful entrepreneur you are. So thanks for joining me today. I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now.